This is episode 114 of the Rising Man podcast with Mark Winkler. A daughter needs a dad to be the standard against which she will judge all men. Blessings and good rising to you, family. Jetty Azuma here, bringing you another amazing installment of the Rising Man podcast. If this is the first time that you're listening, the first time that you and I get to meet, then let me introduce myself as the host of this podcast and the founder of the Rising Man movement. Our mission here with Rising Man is to initiate an entire generation of men. That's it. We believe this is how we as men can make our greatest impact on the future of humanity. And none of this is possible without community. We can't do any of it unless we create culture. So before we jump into the interview today, I want to invite you to become a greater part of the Rising Man family. All the Rising Man content, events, and information on how to become a bigger part of the Rising Man movement is all located at risingman.org. So go check it out. If you're a man without a men's circle, wait no longer. You can join the Rising Man Fire Circles and get access to your own men's team, monthly training calls with me, guest presenters, and so much more. If you're looking for men's initiations, gatherings, and trainings to prepare you to be the man you've always wanted to be, you can check out all of our other offerings at risingman.org, including our one-day Call the Warrior event that's going to be coming up in May. We've got May 2nd, Vancouver, May 9th in San Francisco, May 16th in LA. So if you're anywhere nearby there, mark your calendars, get yourself there. We're going to learn how to haka together and learn how to express our genuine masculine power. It's an amazing event. Go check it out. It's all over at risingman.org. Okay, let me introduce my guest for today. Mr. Mark Winkler is a family man and family advocate, providing guidance, leadership, and advocacy via his nonprofit organization, Manhood Camp, and most recently, an author of a new book titled My Daughter's Keeper, a compelling story of a father's journey to strive against mounting odds to be present in his daughter's life. In this episode, we discussed how fatherhood is for everyone, regardless of whether or not we biologically have our own children. We redefined the word stepfather as a father who stepped up. Talked about how our youth will benefit from the new masculine movement and this specific conversation about fathers and daughters and fatherhood in general. Why it's poisonous to withhold our expression, how a true leader gives praise freely and supports his community, and that the first medicine for men is relatability. Without further ado, Mark Winkler. All right, fam, got another man joining me for what proves to be a compelling conversation, I'm sure. My new bro that I don't really know much about yet, but I'm excited to get to know you, Mark Winkler down in L.A. L.A., Los Angeles, La La Land, Tinseltown. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. And and I mentioned in the introduction that he's the co-founder of the Fatherhood Circle, also author of the book, My Daughter's Keeper. So... We're going to talk about fatherhood today Let's talk about and it, what it means to be a man in this world, especially as a father. So before we jump in there, man, let me ask you this question. I ask everybody who comes on here. For you, what is the difference between a boy and a man? <laughs> if you look at boyhood, right, I think you look at, you look at a, a time and an opportunity for growth, mistakes, some frivolity, right, and play. Those, some of those elements are present in, in manhood, right? You don't want to ever stop playing. You don't want to ever stop you know, having a joyful spirit. But I think when it comes to making mistakes, mm. hopefully during that journey from boyhood to manhood, you would have 
gathered some information about each mistake you made, right? And so you mm-hmm. want to put that in your data bank. Okay, I did this and this result happened and that was a negative result. So therefore, I'm not going to do that again, right? So I think mm-hmm. it's, it's the matter of making mistakes mm-hmm. that you're sort of given a pass for when you were a boy. But as you move into manhood, society definitely stops giving you a pass and you should stop not be, being accountable for your actions. So I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing for me. I said joy yeah. and happiness and all that frivolity, but I think we should try and capture that youthful, playful spirit. We should try to keep that in adulthood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like that you brought that up because <laughs> at least my my idea of manhood before I really stepped into it was uh-huh. adulthood is time to get serious. Right. And and so I lost a lot of that. In fact, I surrendered. I gave up a lot of that play mm-hmm. in my early adulthood and that had its own consequences. But I, I like what you said because no matter what, there's always consequences. Even as a boy, we experience consequences. But I believe that the community or the parents or whoever is responsible for that boy, when he's still not responsible for himself, they eat a lot of the consequences. You know, we, we eat do. a lot. We, we kind of uh, contain them for for the boy while he's still maturing. But the differentiation for me is that when you become an adult, when you become a man, you're, you're, you're taking responsibility for all of it. You're eating those consequences, not just for yourself, but for whoever you're looking after, especially sure. your own kids. Sure, sure. If I can put it in a religious context, not that I'm making it as a religious conversation, it's like when you sin as a child, the sin is absorbed by your parents. But as you get older, then you take on that sin yourself. But yeah. so I love the way you put that because you're right. I think the community absorbs that. Mm-hmm. The community gives allowances for it. The community even excuses it and the, and the community corrects it, right? Mm-hmm. In some way, some way, shape or form. But I think as we get older, once we hit that 18 mark, once we cross over that mark, there's a less, there's less tolerance, mm-hmm. right? And there's, and there's more accountability that you're given. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, I think the greatest, not greatest, but, but a real setback for men is a lack of self-accountability. Mm. They run through life still making mistakes and still doing things that hurt people. And they don't take the time to stop and say, hey, look, this is my contribution to this negative atmosphere. This is what I did. And this, these are the steps I'm taking to correct that. I talk about that in my book a lot, Man, uh, My Daughter's Keeper. I talk about being in relationships where I clearly did not do the thing I sh- things I should have done mm-hmm. and what negative effect that had on the relationship and then the effects that took place in my life as a result of that. Uh-huh. Let's let's pick that apart for a second because I, I agree with you that that is that's an important threshold to cross to in order mm-hmm. to step fully into manhood, at least in my definition of manhood, is to really take responsibility and be accountable for our actions. Mm-hmm. And I right. also remember being a younger version of myself that mm-hmm. I resisted accountability and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I thinking back on it, I'm wondering if if you have any thoughts on why is that? Why 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 would we resist accountability and responsibility naturally, as, especially as men? I think part of us feels that the more accountable we are, the, the less fun or the less active we can be in whatever space we're in, right? We have this misnomer of thought that if we are accountable for our actions, then we have to somehow curtail our actions, which in a, placing a harness on those actions would make us have less of a fun life, right? Mm. But if we look past that and we look past that moment of selfishness and we say that we can still, you can still enjoy your life, right? But also being mindful of not letting that enjoyment negatively impact 
your circle, your sphere of influence. Yeah. Right. So I think going back as a child, as a you know, as a teenager, as a child, we don't think those things. Mm. Either maybe they are even even after we perhaps have someone talk to us about it, mm. we still reject the idea because there's a natural youthful exuberance and energy that says go go go, have fun, have fun, and you know you're a kid, so you suppose if you suppose this is the things you're supposed to do. Boys will be boys. Some of that's societal, right? right boys right. will be boys, right? Let the boys make, let, let them make mistakes. Let them do wrong. But I think that as you get older and once you start looking at being accountable, you start to say, how is this? Or you should say, how is this affecting my sphere of influence? Mm. What mm-hmm. ripple effects are my actions having on the people around me? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and I think also the, that's the price we pay for the respect that we crave. I think as men, we're, we're naturally inclined to be providers and protectors. It's something that we're, it, it, to me, it's an honor. It's an honor to raise a family and to be the provider and protector of a family. But in order to, to be seen in that position and to, to be given the trust to provide and protect my family, I've got to be accountable. I've got to demonstrate responsibility. I can't just call myself a father and then go out screwing around and not take right. care of my responsibilities. And so right, right. I, I think that that's often the thing that we, we, we want the recognition, the acknowledgement, mm-hmm. the title, the badge of honor without putting sure. in the work. And I think that's, that's a great point. Uh, that's a great point. I, look, and, and I think that because a lot of men, when they get to a certain point, even, even men who move into that very special category as fathers, we, they still have the idea that it's the show. They're still into, you know, showing and, and wanting praise because as kids we got that right so we haven't moved past that ideal of the ideal of doing something for for the praise of it right or Mm -hmm. doing something to get you know a certain amount of you know of accolades Mm -hmm. but i think as you move into manhood with a certain mindset and that mindset is you you're doing this because it's the responsible thing to do or you're doing this because you're you are you know being a good steward for your child for your children then those things, those things matter even less to you, severely less. You don't care about what you do over here and how that is going to get you praise over there. You're doing it just because now it's, it's something that it's your call to do that. It's, it's, it's your new call of duty, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I agree with you, man. Well, let's, let's use that as a nice segue to, to, to switch over into fatherhood. And since, since we're speaking specifically about this, what is your definition of a father? I think a father to me is a person that provides unconditional love, right? And I think from that well of love, all things else spring, right? Whether it's protection, whether it's provision, compassion, from that source and space of love, everything else comes. So it's a person who provides their children with unconditional love, man. Mm-hmm. And, and are you? Do you believe that you have to have your own children to call yourself a father? I don't think so. No. Mm-hmm. I, matter of fact, I'm. I'm putting together an event now, bringing together men, right? But it's going to be centered around fathers, but we're including youth mentors in there as well. Mm-hmm. Because I think the res- when you take the responsibility of fathering or mentoring someone who is not your own child, man, that's very special, yeah. right? That requires another level of love mm-hmm. <laughs> and patience. Yeah. And so I don't think you have to be a father in order to father a child. 
Yeah. I mean, it just look at look at some of those cliche things we say, right? You see her in the movies all the time. Man, he was like a father to me. He was like a father. Was he to like you. a father to you or was he just a father to you? <laughs> and really acknowledging yeah, that yeah. to be it's it's these funny social beliefs that we generate that, oh well, you're not my dad because right. you know, you're you're not biologically my dad or you're not sure. married to my mom, et cetera, et cetera. But I know there's plenty of people that even that I know intimately that say, Hey, this guy was way more of a father to me than Sure. sure. I had I had uncles in my life. I had, you know, grandfathers and I had people, man, coaches and things of that nature who, if they were not in my life, I would not have grown to the man that I am today. Right. I, yeah, I drew no doubt. from their energy, from their teachings, from their understanding. Mm-hmm. And it helped me to get, you know, through a lot of difficult moments, right? When I recall their what they gave to me and what they told me. So I think that, you know, it's I think it's, it takes a special person who steps into a, matter of fact, if you look on social media, a lot of people who are stepfathers, they're saying, I'm, I'm not a stepfather, I'm a father that stepped up. So they're, they're changing sort of the language. There's this new thing that's happening out here trying to redefine things that maybe had some sort of negative connotation on it. But the bottom line is, you're right, man. When you, even if you're not a father, to be able to step into a child's life and give that child guidance and direction and love, that's a special thing. Yeah. And I, I look at my own family and, and every every nuclear family. Even, I don't even like the word nuclear, but for lack of better terms, the, the, the smaller family units. I look at that as a as a microcosm of what's possible in the greater world. You know, and I, sure. I don't know what the experience is like for you, but my son was first born. He's four four years and change now. When he was first born and I laid eyes on him for the first time, my cells shifted. Like completely mm-hmm. flipped over. I, I feel like that was one of my greatest rites of passage because I could feel different the moment I laid eyes on him. And I remember it was maybe the second or third week he was born. We finally left the house and we took the, you know, brave stroll down to the park. And I remember seeing all these other kids that were probably playing in that park three weeks before, but I felt Mm. differently about each one of them. I felt like I was Mm. a parent to every single one of them. Like I was responsible for every single child. And, and nowadays every opportunity I get to engage, especially with a smaller child, or sure. these preteens, teenagers that, because I, I, I know what it was like to be seen and feel safe yeah. with an adult who wasn't a relative. Sure. It gives a whole different perspective of the world. And so anyway, my belief is that that's what we need in order to really bring unity to this planet, unity to our communities, but treating everyone's yeah. kids like they're our own. Yeah, no, that's beautiful because it, it's absolutely true. When you talk about that transformation, when you embrace fatherhood, Right. And you look at your child and you say, I don't want anything bad to happen to my child. Mm-hmm. Right. It's hard to contain that feeling for just your child. Mm-hmm. Right. That's something that it's, it seeps through. Right? You can deny that it's there. You can say, well, no, this, this is just about my child. But you walking into that park and you seeing other children and you feeling a, a similar feeling of responsibility, of, of warmness. That I'm sure a lot of fathers feel, man, but then that feeling needs to turn into action, right? right? Because as you say, if we take that feeling and we move it into action, oh, what a better world this would be, right? (laughs) Because we're treating the world like every child we see is our child. So we're going to make sure that that child is safe from hunger, from homelessness, from human trafficking. We're going to make sure we do whatever we can. I'm not saying you have to go out there and start a crusade. But you're going to put some time over and beyond the time you bring to your own child to do that. So 
It's a beautiful sentiment. Well, and all we got to do is we just got to look at the reality for the kids to know how we're doing as a as a society. Right. Know, the, the kids are so guarded and protected, and, and per, in mm-hmm. some cases, rightfully so, because there are some right. parts of our of our own country that are still not safe for children. Sure. But the fact that it is that way, you know, I think back to what it was like when my grandparents were growing up, when my parents mm-hmm. were growing up back in the in the sixties. Kids were even even me growing up in the late '80s, early '90s. I mm-hmm. I was I, I would leave the house in the beginning of the day, and my mom had sure. no idea where I was. There were no cell phones. There were no internal tracking devices sure. <laughs> for, sure. for children. Sure. And yeah. so I just look at this. It's like kids are so they're, they're kept on a leash now, and they have to be in some respects. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just this overall belief that the world is not safe for our kids. And if that's the case, if that's really the case, if that's just not a bunch of baloney mm-hmm. that we want to believe, then we got to do something about that. Because if we don't take care of that, then none of this other stuff's going to change. I mean, because here's the thing, man. If we don't take care of that, then we have failed not only our children, but our children's children Mm -hmm. and our children's family and friends and their family. So, so it's, it's, it's an extension, right? So we talk about, you know, living forever. Some people say, Oh, I want to live forever. Well, you live forever through your lineage, Right. The energy and the thoughts that you put into your child and that child or even if you're a mentor, what you put into that person. So if you pull yourself away from social responsibility. Right. And I'm really big on this, man. I'm really big on people ask me, what's the purpose of life? And I say the purpose is, is to give back. I live by that creed and I try to get my children to uh, to adopt that in some way in their life. Right. Mm-hmm. Even you talk about microcosm and macrocosm, even around the house. You know, we begin to implement those ideas, right? Because we say how you treat your, the dynamic of how they are around the house is kind of what they're going to take out there, right? Mm. So just a matter of just keeping not only your space clean, your room, but not to mess up the living room, right? Mm. So there's psychology going into that because that means that you have a space, then there's a shared space, right? So the, taking responsibility of that, then hopefully that'll translate to them. Well, I don't just keep my house clean or my apartment clean. When I go out into the streets, I won't litter, right? right? So these are these are the little thoughts, man, but you're absolutely right. If we cowered away or, or move away or try to you know, sequester ourselves in this bubble, right, we may keep ourselves safe. We may keep our children safe, right? But once they get out of that bubble, there are no guarantees. Mm. There's none while they're in there, but it's even less guarantees if you've done nothing to contribute to the betterment of the world. Mm. Not. Mm. That's I, I like that, man. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this follow-up question. Mm-hmm. In one sentence or less, what would you say is the role of a father to his children? And, and if you think that there's a differentiation between a father's role with a son or a father's role with a daughter, then then mm-hmm. please describe each of those. I, I don't, you know what? I have I'm the father of girls, but I've mentored mm-hmm. young men. So mm-hmm. I would say that you know, the responsibility is, is to teach them to be the best version of themselves that they can be. Right. And that is a whole process that goes into that. Right. But I always ask my child when I see her, you know, moving away or going astray from things that would make her the best version. I say, you know, Hey, little Sita, I call her. I say, little Sita, is that the best that you, that you can do? Is, is did you do you feel like in that situation you you put your best self forward that that's the best right and then I just mm. sit back I don't it's not a lecture and I let her work through that conversation right I let her mm. say 
well, I did this. Okay, so you did that. And then as a result of that, do you find that you will walk away with people saying, that person is amazing. That person really put some good energy out there. And then mm-hmm. I let her deal with that conversation. So I think the role of a father is to teach the child to be the best version of him or herself. Yeah. Yeah. And my definition is not all that different. Mm-hmm. I uh, I believe that a role of a father is to prepare his children for the world, yes. especially especially a son. You know, I think of what 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 does my son really need from me? He needs number one. He needs to be able to witness me and and model my actions. Not not just what I not, not what I say. In fact, I think what I say <laughs> rarely does he do what I say <laughs> or ask him to do. But I do see him modeling my behaviors. Mm-hmm. So demonstrating to him what it looks like to be a man in the world, living according to values and being in, in integrity and giving for myself. And, and for a daughter, you know, very similarly, prepare her for the world. But especially because of the world we live in, I think that safety for women is such a big issue. Mm-hmm. Self-esteem for, for young ladies, mm-hmm. especially, and all the other stuff, crazy stuff going on out there. So I think for me as a man, to be an example of what she should ask for and expect from men in her life, whether it's a future partner, a good friend, an employer, any man in her life, to be that example so she knows what to look for when she's out in the world by herself. I think, you know, I, I agree with both. I think as a, if you have a, a boy child in your life, you, you, you have to show them through example of this is, this is, this is a constructive or, or a productive walk. Right. Mm-hmm. How you how you this is the way I walk, the way I do. You can see that I'm bringing positive energy into the atmospheres that I go into. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at if I look at boys and girls, right, I think that if I had a boy, I would teach the boy, you know, responsibility, accountability. I would teach the boy to respect women. Right. Because I think that I, I would worry less about my daughter, if these messages will be given to boys more, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. That's it. Well, that's why, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm like, so hey, man, we got to, if we take care of the men. You take care of that, man. You give them a certain, a certain understanding, right? There's this whole thing out there past couple of years talking about toxic masculinity, right? There's been pushback with it. There's been acceptance of it. But I think the biggest thing with that whole conversation, if I think about toxic, toxic masculinity, I think that I think about men not being accountable, right? I think men mm-hmm. just doing things and not worrying about the effects or consequences of their actions, right? And not mm-hmm. respecting others as human beings. And so yeah. I think if we can get a child, a boy child, when that child is young enough, and malleable enough of thought to really absorb those messages, then when that child gets older, again, when my, if my daughter meets someone and, you know, I won't have to worry, well, I have to follow behind that kid with a shotgun, right? I know that, that <laughs> right. child is going to be respectful because that child has had a certain understanding about how people should treat people. Yes. Now. Yeah, man. And just... Every time I hear that that phrase, toxic masculinity, I think, all right, if we well, if we, if we want to call boys or men toxic, uh-huh. then we got to also say that we're pushing poison, because that's that to me, it's like I don't think that humans are innately born as as toxic or having any of these behaviors. This is learned stuff. It is learned. Right? They, either they they saw it somewhere or it was it was pushed upon them by somebody else, sure. so they started to believe that's the way of being that's acceptable. And usually the absence of what we're talking about here, the absence of grounded, conscious 
parenting, whether it's mothers or fathers. That goes back to, you know, the purpose, man. And you, and you, and you talk about what, what was the role or purpose of a father in a child's life. It's to move them away. It's to remove that poison out of their thinking, right? It's to mm-hmm. make certain that they don't drink that Kool-Aid of thought. Like they don't think, yeah. they don't drink the old ideas. We talk about generational differences. Well, you know, my mm-hmm. grandfather, my father, they had an idea of what a man was, right? A man was, mm-hmm. he provided, he, he protected, he was stoic with his feelings. He wasn't compassionate. Mm-hmm. He wasn't vulnerable. Those ideas, he didn't cry, he didn't show his emotions, he, didn't, he wasn't open. Those, those, those notions are really being challenged right now, but there's an old guard pushing back to keep it there. For instance, I have a blog that I write, and, I, and in one of the blogs I wrote, what is what, what the meaning of mad fatherhood or something like that? But I, I reference the Gillette commercial that came out and they, and they, about a couple of years ago, a year and a half, a year ago, two years ago. And in that commercial, it really, it really went to battle against the, the old guard, uh, old ideas of what manhood is, right? So it was a beautiful commercial. But then right after that, a watch company put out another commercial to counter that commercial to say, basically, Gillette was wrong. This is what a man is, right? And so they showed mm-hmm. men in military outfits and first responder outfits, basically saying men give their lives, right? So that's, that's nothing toxic about that. But I think they missed the point, right? The point is what you said. It's poison to do certain things and not be accountable for them. It's poison to your own system to not be able to be free of, of expression of your full self. Mm-hmm. That is, that, that's a poison way of living. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 like, I like that you bring that up because this is a perfect representation of how confusing the messages about manhood, masculinity, and fatherhood have been. Yes. And that there may be different, different de- that's why I asked that same question at the beginning of every episode. Mm-hmm. Essentially what I'm asking is what does it really mean to be a man? Yeah. And when do we become men? Because that was the biggest question I had in my mind <laughs> when I was in my twenties. Am I a man? Am I acting like a man? What does a man look like? What is the man that I want to be? And so what I, the, the, I always look for the common thread. I always look mm-hmm. for the lowest common denominator in things. And to me, it's that acceptance of responsibility when, it, when a boy goes from being taken care of by the village to taking care of the village and his people. I mean, real talk, fatherhood, a lot of times is a thankless job. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of unpaid hours, a lot of actions sure. that, that go without Especially gratitude. Especially as the kids get older, it gets more thankless. <laughs> it gets more? Oh, great. But well, you got to look forward to. <laughs> Looking forward to it. And, and, and yet... Fathers continue to to step up and, and choose that. Some don't. Let's be honest. Uh-huh. Some don't. That's that's kind of a another topic we sure, can talk about. Sure. But there is this, and this is for any. I think really for any man, even if you're not a father yet, or you don't never want to be, the men, the mentality, the mind state that I will do whatever it takes to honor this commitment and responsibility I have, right. even if it means I'm not going to be acknowledged or adorned or. or all of these accolades showered upon me sure. because I just care about honoring my word. But see, that's leadership, right? Mm-hmm. When, you, when you talk about thankless and not being recognized, that's leadership. And men, you know, I don't look at the man being necessarily the leader of the home. I look at him being a co-leader with the wife, but there's, there's a, that union is present. But when you look at leadership, if your leadership, you go back to what you were saying, that you look for praise, you know, as boys do. So if you continue in that mindset as you step into that leadership fatherhood role, 
then mm. you will become very tired of this role very quickly mm. and you will move away from it because you're right. It is a thankless role at times, right? There's no, mm -hmm. there's no fanfare. Father's mm -hmm. Day versus Mother's Day, that's a, that's a huge financial <laughs> difference. <laughs> the marketplace yeah. tells you that mothers are more thankful. <laughs> you go into a mother, you go over this mother's Even, day. Man, equally as deserving. <laughs> father's Day, there's just a little bitty section. So, sure, sure. So it's, it's, sure. it's a different dynamic, man, but you're right. And there's something else that, was, that connected a thought for me is that you're right. When the father steps into that role and, 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 and accepts that it, it won't necessarily be a lot of, you know, accolades and you go, and, and, but it's about the endurance. It's about saying that mm. I want to be the best that I can be for my child. I connect the thought. If that person then says, I want to make sure that I make the best world for my child, right? Then he's taken that, that remarkable energy that's present in him as a father and he's spreading it out in his community and his village and his village then mm. to a larger villages and larger community. So um, yeah. it's all connected somehow. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. That to me, I, I also think about things in stages and levels. And uh -huh. that first level of mastery as a father is is being able to take care of your home and your your home hearth, keep the fires tended to sure. there, and make sure your family, if you're if you're in partnership mm -hmm. or whatever that looks like, and, and take making sure your kids and your and your partner and everyone has everything that they need. Mm -hmm. And then the next layer outside of that is now making sure that this world that you're essentially bequeathing to your children. Right. You're, you're giving them the keys to this world this, this that they're inheriting, sure. that it's the best one that we could possibly give. Absolutely. I love that. I Absolutely. love that idea. And it's hard to think about that when we're still working on the nuts and bolts of paying the bills and, and, and know, that's, just and, making and sure our kids are And those are distractions, man, right? Those, those are the distractions. Right. But, but once, you, once you're able to compartmentalize those things and say, hey, look, I, these are the things I have to do, right? If you talk about Maslow's higher order, I have to take care of the home. I have to make sure that, you know, have food, sustenance, housing, whatever, clothing, whatever. But then you say, but that's not who I am. Who I am mm -hmm. is this, this, this spiritual being, mm -hmm. right? And I want to make sure that I contribute positive energy to the world. So in order for me to do that, yes, I have to take care of myself so I won't starve and I won't be able to not think about those higher things. But once you got that in order, right? And even if it's not fully in order, once you just, you know, once you're okay, then you quickly got to move to thinking about now, how can I contribute in a more positive way outside of me, right? Because yes, when you're insulated with those things, you take care of that. But then there's an outside, man, and that outside and invariably, you're going to send your kids out there. So I'm constantly thinking about what am I doing to make the world a better place, man? Because not only for my kids, but my kids are going to have kids, as, as I said before. And then they, my, friend, my kids are going to have friends, right? Because when I say my prayers, I say I pray for my family and friends near and far, right? And so I want my child to, to know that their responsibility is not just to themselves, their responsibility is to their village, to their community, to their world. And the only way that you're going to do that is if you go back to an early statement that you made, is you do that by example. If you never show your child that, and they're looking at you and they're saying, well, how does mommy and daddy do this? Right? This whole thing with Iran, how, what was their response? Did they even talk about it? Did they even care? I'm taking my child to a rally today. Right? At five o'clock. So my child's going to know that you can put whatever little energy you have, you can put that and connect that to the other energies that you're around. And hopefully that'll make things better. So I'm teaching my child 
from now and even before this age that you have to contribute to making things better. You can't just think about yourself. Mm. Yeah, I love that, man. <laughs> I love that. And in this in this field of men's work, mm-hmm. I've adapted a phrase that I use with some of my buddies who are in it too. We we call it we call it being a do whatever it takes man. There you go. Having that mentality <laughs> of like, this is my commitment. Right. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make to honor that commitment. Sure. It's not negotiable. It's right. it's I get to change me. I don't get to change the commitment. I get to change my actions, my behaviors, right. my approach. Right before I change the commitment. Sure, sure. So I like that. That's good. I thought of that when I when I was listening and looking into a little bit about your your book and your the story that you uh-huh. have about your role, your your journey in fatherhood mm-hmm. with your daughter. So the book is called My Daughter's Keeper and I know that you've got a there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that uh, at least what I understand is this a story about what you had to do to be a father for your daughter. Yes. And so I, yes. can you give us some context about that? What, what is the what is the do whatever it takes version of what you had to do? It's, it's, it's on two levels. The first level was, well, just a quick background. The At a certain point, I lost custody of my daughter. And I had to do two things. The, the, the do whatever I had to do was I had to re-examine who I was as a man, right? And to look at the things that I put into that relationship between myself and my child's mother that caused a rupture and then damage and and then an ultimate separation. So I had to be accountable. And that is not an easy thing to do when you have not had the practice to do so, right? So I had to be committed to continuously tearing myself down and then rebuilding myself until I was the best version of myself. And then I said, then I could say, I am more than worthy of having my child in my life because I am, I'm her father and I'm going to be a great father for her. The second part was enduring the, just the process itself of going through the court, family court, of going through police investigations, going through child protective services. That in and of itself, that quagmire of craziness really exhausts a lot of fathers, right? Because once fathers are sucked into that process, it's very hard when there's a negative narrative around you as a father to come up under that narrative and things just get piled on one after the other. And at a certain point, a lot of fathers get exhausted, financially exhausted, emotionally, physically. And if they, and if they don't have outlets to talk to, outlets to go to express how they're feeling, a lot of fathers just wither away from, from, from the battle itself. So another part of the commitment of making myself worthy for this ballot, for this challenge, was that I had to say that I can't do it myself, right? Mm. I need to pick up a map and I need to ask someone, help me read this map (laughs) because I am going in a wrong direction, right? I was spiraling Uh, down into despair and hopelessness. So I I had to go find a group, a fatherhood group, man. And let me tell you something. The moment I walked into that group and I saw the other fathers, all races, all ages, talking about how they were doing and their struggles, and I noticed sadness, but I noticed also resolved and happiness as well. All of these things were mixed together. Mm. But I didn't see a lot of despair in that room. And I knew that was a result of these men connecting with each other's energy. 
So I was fortified with the thought that I need to, as a man, I need to make certain that when I need help, I need to go get help. Right. Yeah. So yeah, those are the two things sometimes, that I had to do. <laughs> no, you're beautiful, man. And gosh, I was just on a, a call last night uh-huh. with, with my, I have many different men's circles. Okay. And one of the circles of men is are, are my closest brothers from back in college. Okay. These are guys that I've known since I was 17 to 20 years old. Mm. So we're talking about over a decade and a half of relationship with some of these guys. Right, right. And we're at the stage of life. I mean, we saw all of each other go through our growing up phase, right, you know, the right. knucklehead phase. And and at this stage, we're all starting families. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us are married or, or moving towards marriage or have children or moving towards children. And I'm starting to see that, because we've seen each other through a lot, but the stresses that we're all encountering as fathers, as providers, as husbands, it's all really the same thing. Yes. And one of the most therapeutic, cathartic things that we have is that we have this monthly call and we we spend two hours together. Whoever asked for time gets time. Mm-hmm. And even just airing out what we're going through mm-hmm. and knowing that we're not alone. Right. To me, I, I call that the first medicine of men is relatability. Wow. Just knowing that I'm not the only I dude. Like that. That's, I love that. Relatability. The medicine for men. <laughs> That's it, man. Mm-hmm. It's the first one, right? Because mm-hmm. as soon as, it's, and I see it all the time because I'm part of many other men's mm-hmm. circles too. The first time a guy experiences that, steps into a space where he's not going to be judged mm-hmm. for anything that he thinks he's incompetent with sure. and shares that. And then, and not only that, not only is he not judged, but then is related to, because another man says, dude, me too. Right. Like right now, I'm in that very same thing right now. I know exactly, or five years ago mm-hmm. or five minutes ago, but I get it. Right. And you're still welcome here. That's when things change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, no, I, I testify to that 100% because that's when it changed for me, right? I was able mm-hmm. to find a moment of being able to relate to this father over here who was going through this. Even though some of the dynamics were different, the, the, the bottom line was this father was missing their child, right? So mm-hmm. I was able mm-hmm. to connect to his story emotionally, even though some of the dynamics were different. I was on that emotional wavelength with him and then that person over there and then that person to me. And so that connectiveness, that relatedness, you're right, man, that, that, that is medicine, right? And I think that if more men can take that medicine and more men be open to taking that medicine, then I think they will be able to move past these moments that they get stuck in, right? Move past these moments where I, I always like to use the, the the, 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 the analogy of a man driving a car and refusing. He's out in the wilderness in the darkness, 100 miles from where he's supposed to be, but refuses to ask for direction, right? But the moment uh-huh. he does, he gets back on the track. And so yeah. we, we, there was a strong generational leaning towards that thinking, but and you're right, as I think generational, generationally now, people are moving, men are starting to move away from the thought that they have to do it all themselves. Right. They have yep. to carry the world on their shoulders by themselves when it's ridiculous thought, because if you have a friend or a circle like you have, why not? If they're willing to share the burden for a moment or to take the mantle and let you breathe for a moment, then you can have enough energy to continue. So I may actually use that man, medicine for men. <laughs> use it, man. Use it and spread it. Because because here's the other thing I think of a metaphor that I have in my mind around it is 
I don't know if you've ever seen somebody go through like a, a, a literally like a physical trauma, mm -hmm. like especially like an injury, a mm -hmm. severe injury, mm -hmm. like they get, maybe they get like a finger cut off or something extreme, mm -hmm. right? You see people go into shock. Sure. And when people go into shock, there's that moment of like, oh my God, where's my hand? Where's my... My, my hand's not there anymore. They, they can't, they can't make sense of the pain. And, and you see people, someone walking around trying to find their bearings. And it, what it requires is somebody else to intervene and say, Hey, something happened here. Let's figure this out. Mm. And then they can switch their mind over to going into that problem solving. Sure. So that's what I think of it as, is when there's, when there's a guy walking around in the world, cause I've been this man myself before too. And I'm carrying around a pain. I'm carrying around a trauma that I don't know how to navigate myself out of, and I'm too proud to to ask for help or to share because I don't think someone will get it. As soon as somebody says, dude, I know what you're going through, mm -hmm. I can like, oh, I can I can unload the weight enough to flip my mind over to, okay, now what am I going to do about it? Now what am I going to do about the fact that I'm, my arm is cut off? What, am I, how, what, what do I want to do to address it instead of desperately looking for somebody to... to just acknowledge what's going on. And it's that temporary relief that really gives you the ability to reassess to reorganize your thoughts and then to better strategize what your next move is, right? And it's not and it's right. not a reliance, a permanent reliance on the other person. It's just that other person saying and you accepting that this is temporary relief. Enough time for you to be able to get your bearings, right? To 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 re reroute yourself. And um, that's that's necessary, man. And I, I'm glad that there's there's I see there's a movement afoot, men thinking like that. So that encourages yeah, me. Because maybe now I won't have to be so fearful about my daughter moving into the world because <laughs> I see that well, there's a growing there's a growing community of thought that uh, is is moving away from the elements of manhood that are toxic. I don't like to go back to that phrase. Masculinity of itself is not toxic, but there's elements of it that is, right? And so I'm glad mm. that they're removing, there's a generational effort to remove the toxic elements of manhood. Yeah. 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 And, and, and we're all a part of that movement, man. That goes all the way back to the responsibility of being a father or a man in this time. There's no excuse. If you, if you want that mantle of calling yourself a man, of being a father to not only your children, but a, the whole next generation of children and beyond, this is that's what it requires is stepping up and taking on that that banner and and honoring what it means to really show up in that way. Sure. And so so we're all a part of that. We're all making that happen. Right. And the what what I want to say about what we were just talking about is that it's important that that talk moves to action at some point because I've also been I've also sat in in men's circles where the talking about it is so therapeutic because for, for, that maybe it's been years maybe it's been a lifetime where a man has not been able to share that. And there's so much that needs to be said because it's like a, like having a, a, a full vessel of, of the, a backlog of pain and suffering. So yes, that's valuable and important. And it also must at some point move towards action and problem resolution. So, you know, being in a solution mindset. So going over to what you said about raising a daughter, mm. it was one thing to bring a son into the world. That, that shifted my whole perspective around having a child and really, really taking care of these next generations. But when my daughter, when we found out we were having a daughter, there was another one of those cellular shifts in me. Because mm -hmm. I've always been one who was attentive to safety for women. But when I realized, oh, I'm going to raise a daughter. And in 13 years or so, she's going to be start becoming a young lady. I don't want her to inherit the world the way it looks like right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I don't want her to ever have to 
feel like she needs to hide her fullest self-expression to stay safe. Sure. So Absolutely. creating a safe place for my daughter, man, it's like, and all other women. Not It started with her, but really she just represents, to me, all women. But see, that's the All growth, women get though. to be safe in right, this world. Right, right. You know? And I think that's, going back to what we were talking about, you start from the nuclear, but then you grow from there, right? So your desire is to see a better world for your daughter. But if you are true to that inclination of feeling, it's going to be impossible for you to contain that just for your daughter, right? So you're not just going to make sure that the neighborhood that you live in is safe. You're going to do whatever you have to do to make sure that once she leaves the neighborhood, the efforts that we put forth will then make certain that the world is a better place for her. Right. And so I think that once we start accepting that, you know, we want the world to be better for our own child. I think the natural next thought, then the world has to be a better place. But then that but then that goes back to what you were saying, then we have to take action to make certain that that happens. Right. We can't sit down in our own comfortableness and let turmoil all around us and say, that's not my problem, because it may not be your problem. But it for a darn show, we're probably going to be your child's problem <laughs> because we've inherited yes. a lot of problems from our fathers and our grandfathers that we're now trying to correct. One is global warming, right? So we're now trying to deal with that. So as an example, so I think that to say, to accept that next level of responsibility, I think it requires just a little bit more, just a little bit more of yourself. And once you mm. get to the understanding that that doesn't mean you have to go out and again be like Gandhi or Martin Luther King, <laughs> we're not asking you to do that, but we're asking you just to be a little bit more responsible about you know things that you do and try to contribute, join an organization, donate if you can't physically be, just do something more than what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Let your let your let your world be bigger than the walls that you live in. Mm-hmm. You know, just think a little bit bigger than think a little bit bigger than than the way that you're thinking now. And if you already are, if you're already thinking about your community, you're already thinking about your block, you're thinking about your 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 state, maybe your country. But the, you know, really, if you're not thinking on a global perspective, then there's always another layer of intention and thought we can put into the world. It so, is. It is. You said um, your daughter's how old? She's eight and a half months. Eight and a half months. My daughter's twelve. One of the things because I I run a fatherhood group, right? I was speaking to a father who was had a young daughter in his life, and he kept referring to his daughter as my little princess, right? As as I did, right? I still do, but not as much, right? So what I said to him, I share with you. I said, for a long time, and this helped me to be able to deal with her how she is right now. A long time I had this image, a picture I took of her as my five-year-old, four-year-old princess, right? And I carried that picture with me and carrying that picture caused me to interact with her as if she was five or six, right? Mm. But I realized when she was standing on the stage of her fifth grade culmination, about to go (laughs) into junior high, that I had to take a new picture of. I had to replace that image of her as my five-year-old daughter and then put that 12-year-old daughter, who will soon be a teenager, I had to put that new picture in my mind, man, because she is about to embark on a whole new journey of activity, of, of thoughts, of interactions. And if I'm not ready to deal with that new developmental stage and processes she's going through, 
I'm going to stunt her growth, right? And it's going to develop a whole level of conflict between her and I that would not necessarily have been there if I just said, hey, my daughter is not my five-year-old little princess. She's my 12-year-old young lady, right? And so I have to, so anyway, I don't know, just when Mm -hmm. you said that when she's 13 and I had that thought, man, when I was looking at my daughter and realized that she was about to turn 13 and interact with the world in a much different way than she did when she was five. So anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that too, man. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. I'm going to tuck that away in my back pockets and take pull it out in another 10 years. Because well, here's go. the other thing is that I'm sure that a lot of that image you had in your mind of her being that five-year-old princess, mm-hmm. you know, daddy's little girl was a lot of what you wanted to hold on to as an individual. Absolutely. I know I, like right now I look at my daughter, I'm like, darn, she's so cute. I, I want her to just, I, I want to just see her as this sure. always because it brings me so much joy. Right. But it, it's we get to really flip that mindset of like, well, what does she really need? When, when she's five, when she's 10, when she's 12, 20 years old, what does she need from her dad then? I would, not what do I want, right? <laughs> but what does she need from but me? But the beautiful thing is that each stage of those development, you get to enjoy her at that age, but then when she gets older, there's a whole new, she has a whole new understanding of the world at a certain age. So you're, you're able to inter- interact with it and, and have a conversation with her as her mind begins to develop, right? But mm. if you are so much into that protectiveness, right, that you want to keep her that age, because I think it's a natural instinct as a father, you want to protect your child and protecting her is you can do best when she is in your sphere of influence. Right. But as yeah. she goes, <laughs> grows out of your sphere of influence and that begins with her challenging what you say. Right. So, hey, because at a certain point, everything you say is golden. Right. I gave the, yeah. <laughs> the example to my daughter. I was rapping and I said, you like that? She said, it's Cardi, dad. And I was like, oh, hey, oh, that hurt my heart. <laughs> I said, I said to myself, when you were younger, you said I was the best rapper in the world. She said, well, that's when I was <laughs> five or six, dad. So, that's when I thought you were the only rapper in the world. The rapper, <laughs> now I see there's a whole slew of rappers out there that I can draw sort of an example from. So, so you're not that oh, good. Man. So anyway, I had to hang up my microphone, man. But I, uh, that's an example, man, because I think you can, there's, but, but if I was closed to that moment, right, if I wanted her mm-hmm. to continue to think of me as a Superman or superhero, then I wouldn't have been able to enjoy that moment. I would have considered it her challenging me at somehow, right? And then you try to, what happened is inadvertently, you will put her in a box, Right, and you won't get to enjoy this human being experiencing life and the wonder of what she's experiencing because you're trying to control that. So part of me were replacing that picture was that I actually wanted to enjoy life through her eyes as she sees it through whatever stages she's at right now. So yes, my conversation, we walk a lot, right? Yes, my conversation is different with her than she was five versus she's going on 13. She's talking about boys stuff on liking boys. But let me tell you something. By me being able to replace the picture, I'm able to have that conversation. There's no way I can have that conversation when she's five about her liking boys, right? Right. Of course, of course. But I'm able to deal with it now more maturely, especially knowing that when she likes boys, what that could mean at her age, 
right? And so taking a new picture, I say, I take a picture and I say, what do teenagers and boys and girls do at that age? What did I do when I was 12, 13, and 14, right? So I have to be open to that is possibly going to, at one time or another, be in her activities, right? But if I'm not able to deal with that, man, if I'm not able to have a conversation with her about that, if I still want to talk about the tooth fairy and Santa Claus with her, then what's going to happen is she will probably still have those conversations with me. But the things that are really important with her, she's going to find someone else to talk to. Sure. Right? Sure, man. Yeah. That's well, that's real. That's real talk. Right, man. And that's 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 some wisdom you're dropping. I really appreciate <laughs> that. I appreciate everything that you brought to this dialogue, man, because. What it's helped me realize, you know, before we started recording, I was saying, hey, you know, you're we're like a decade apart. You know, we obviously we have a little bit of different upbringings and backgrounds, raised in different parts of the country, you know, et cetera. But it was it was so interesting just to see how when you really reduce it down, it is it's all the same anyway. Mm-hmm. It's all the same around how we see fatherhood and what we need to do on a simple level, because yeah. everyone's going to have different details different characters to their story slightly different sure. plot lines sure but the twist is always the same <laughs> when it, especially when it comes to fatherhood so i've enjoyed this conversation very much and i hate to start bringing it to a wrap-up point but we must as all things all things must, must. And then they transition so let me do and then yeah and then we always got chapter two we can do chapter two another exactly time. let me ask you a few lightning round style questions you know quick answers shooting off the hip mm-hmm. and then at the end you can tell us where people can find you buy a copy of your book and get involved with what you're up to so you ready for the lightning round at a claw. <laughs> all right so what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18 uh, great question i would say that to be accountable that's, that's really big for me. I wish someone, if I, had, if I had a chance to go back and tell myself one thing, I would say invest in Facebook, right? <laughs> yeah, <you're> right. <laughs> one of them. Right, one of them. But, uh, but no, seriously, I would say be accountable, right? Make certain that you, when, once you do something and it doesn't go right or it hurts someone, that you take responsibility for that and then take responsibility and then try to correct it. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? I think the most important value is to have is to, I don't know if this is a value per se, but I think to be responsible for not only yourself and your child, but to the world, to, to, to live, to, to have purpose and let that purpose be of giving. I think that's a value that I have that, is, that guides my life is that I say I value the idea of giving back. You know, giving forth, if you will. Cool. Well, last but not least, where can the good folks out here follow you, find you, buy a copy of your book, wherever you want to direct us so we can get some more Mark Winkler in our lives? Ah, you can never have enough Mark Winkler in your life. Here's the book again, <laughs> My Daughter's Keeper. You can find that on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. Get me at markrwinkler.com. Real simple. It has all my information, information about my organization, Manhood Camp, Fatherhood Circle. That's why I am awesome, housed. Man. <laughs> awesome, man. And and next time I make a, a jaunt down to LA, I'll, I'll be sure to knock on your door and hit you up, man. Have a, have a real cup of coffee instead yeah, real, of the virtual as, one. As opposed to a digital <laughs> cup. I enjoyed the digital cup, but I would love to sit yeah. down and get some real coffee with you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the digital's all right, but it doesn't taste as good doesn't as the real thing. Good, so. It doesn't go down as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so, hey, man, listen, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for being a man who walks this world with intention and purpose, who is committed to raising some beautiful, expressed women and who you're creating safety for them and other 
people across the world with the work you're doing, man. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And I'm grateful to have had and this Thank you for having this platform, man. You know, you give people like me a voice and you amplify that voice. So I appreciate that. Uh, well, it is an honor, as I'm sure it is for you, man. So until next time, man, take care of yourself. Yes, sir. This one was a special one for me. Obviously, you guys know there's been a lot of attention for me on being a father to a daughter, especially as my daughter is getting ready to turn a year old in less than a month. And with the music video that we put out, the song, Through Your Eyes, if you haven't seen it yet, it's over at the Rising Man YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Such a big topic of conversation is how we as men can be examples for young girls, young ladies, for the men that they ought to surround themselves with. To me, that's the role of a father to a daughter is to be the man that she'll one day marry or the men that she will surround herself with. So if nothing else, be an example for those young ladies on what it looks like to be a man in this world. You can have an impact right now. You don't have to be a dad. You can just be a man. Be an example for these ladies out there to see what real, powerful, authentic, loving, supportive, connected, masculine looks like. All right. And while you're at it, make sure you get involved in the Rising Man movement. Join us in our Rising Man fire circles. You can join us for our next compass initiation. Our April one is already filled up and we're getting ready to head out there in less than a month. But you can jump on board whether you're in Australia. We're going to be doing one in the end of June or we're going to be out in Death Valley again in October this year, 2020. So all that information for the fire circles, for compass and for our one day call the warrior events coming up in May. It's all living at risingman.org. So go check it out. Please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast. Hit us with those likes, those hearts, hit that share button, send it around to your whole community. Let them know what you think about the rising man. Spread the word, spread the word, fellas, because this is how we get this thing moving. And this is you doing your part to be a champion and carry the banner of the rising man movement by sharing it up and letting people know what's really up. All right. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. It's all there. All the excellent video content that we've been putting out starting this year. Really excited about that. So go check it out right now if you haven't already. Shout out to my Rising Man power team, Sean, Julian, Ryan, Mark, and Rowan. You know, I love you guys and everybody else out there. I love you too. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. <laughs>